0: Ah, oh, today we are in the last of our series on the Word, and uh, I found I've seen this before, and I saw it again yesterday. So I wanted to share you share this little trivia. It's the slides before on Psalm one hundred and eighteen. Did you know that Psalm one hundred and seventeen, the chapter before, is the shortest chapter in the Bible? Uh. There we go. The Psalm One Hundred Eighteen is the middle chapter of the Bible, and Psalm One Nineteen is the longest chapter of the Bible. There are five hundred and ninety-four chapters before Psalm One Hundred and Eighteen. There are five hundred and ninety-four chapters after Psalm One Hundred and Eighteen. Kind of interesting how God works sometimes through men, because you know when these guys wrote their letters, there were no chapters, there were no verses. Uh, But if you add 594 plus 594, you get 1,188. So if we turn to Psalms 118, verse 8, it says this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Kind of a good scripture that kind of sums up a lot of what the Bible is about. Amen? Amen. It's not. This is not the middle scripture of the Bible, even though some may say it is, but this is just kind of a fun little trivia thing to, to have to see that you know, God works in mysterious ways. We hear that. We've read it in the Bible. We've probably heard people say it from the pulpit before. It's just kind of a, a fun little thing for you guys as we talk about the Word. So as we wrap up the Word, I said I know I said last week we're going to talk about how we get into the Word, how we make it a part of our daily lives, but I'm scratching that because in two weeks we're going to do that as part of our new series called Rooted, getting into the fundamentals of our faith. And so today we're going to talk about the Word. Can I trust the Word? Sometimes we often ask that question, can I really trust what God is saying? So let's recap where we've been these last few weeks. We, we, in talking about the word, we've said if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount the stories of the Bible. So that's why we want to know what the Bible is about, where it's come from. The way we got our Bible today, you know, what, electronically or paper bound is not how the Bible Uh, how the world got the Bible. So we wanted to dive into how we got the Bible, where it came from, how how it came together. In the first week, we understood that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the story of God, and the Bible is real and relevant. These are things that we can hang our hat on, and we can know for sure that it is God's word. When we pick up the pages of the Bible, even when we read in numbers how many people, how many children of Israel were in each of the different tribes of Israel, and then how many of them were, those were God's words breathed to life. So yes, God is a mathematician. He likes the fine details of things. But it is also the story of God. The Bible is his love, is his story about his desire to ransom man, to redeem us from our mistakes and our fallen and brokenness. How God loves us so much and has chased and given everything he has for the chance for you and I to know him. The Bible is also real and relevant. As Anu just shared with us, the promises of God, became real and relevant to her situation into her life how god provided for her but we also know and understand that the bible is not a quick fix this is not a drive-through thing that we can go to mcdonald's or a walk-up window at press Beer and grab our coffee and walk out it's a little bit more of that homebrew it takes some time you get into the word and you have to allow the word to grow and develop inside of you we can't plant a tree and expect the next day to for it to be 10 meters tall, 10 meter tall trees take time to grow, don't they? Take time to mature. The Bible is also not just for preachers. People that stand up here, that's how it used to be. The chained to a pulpit because only the preacher got it. But the Bible is for you and for I. And the Bible is also not a buffet. It's not a choice. It's not a, oh, I like this thing and I like that, but nah, I don't like that. It's not what the Bible is. Then the second week we talked about this, Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Why? Why was Luke letting us know that there are so many people that have gone to extraordinary lengths to write letters to write down what Jesus did because something extraordinary happened. There's so much documentation from these letters that show and prove Jesus wasn't just a historical individual, but he changed lives. We have the Gospels. That's the first four books in the New Testament. We have Matthew. We have Mark, which is Peter's account written by Luke. We have Luke's account, and we have John. These were letters written, not in intention to write a book. But to share their account, to share their experience. Why? Because something happened on the inside that changed them. Just like you and I, when there's some great news or something has changed on the inside, we want to share about it. Oftentimes people put those things on social media. Sometimes people don't put it on there, but they call friends. They send a text message say. God's doing this, or this great thing, my promotion has come through. We shared; These guys wanted to share. And we also learned and understood that the very early Christians, they took these letters that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they took these letters and they treasured them. To them, they were valuable and reliable, sacred and inspired. They were scripture. They were the very breath of God. We also came to understand the Bible did not create Christianity. Christianity is the result of an event that, was, that created a movement that produced texts that were con- collected, protected, and then eventually bound into a book. So the book we have, the Bible we have, is a collection of various letters and documents that were put together that God breathed the breath in, of life into man. So why should I trust the Bible? Why should we trust these sacred texts? Well, we can say from Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, all your commands are trustworthy. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, collecting, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So just these two portions of scripture, one from the old, one from the new, tell us, hey, you can trust this document. You can trust these letters. Why? Because God breathed life into these letters. God inspired these letters. They're from him. So God breathed, meaning he is the one that spoke through his messengers these words and this information. So that way people's lives could be changed. Because when they wrote the letters, it was for those days. When Paul was writing 2 Timothy, he was writing to Timothy, his his disciple who was leading some churches, saying, Hey, Timothy, remember this. All scripture is God breathed. You can use it. Most of what they were, he was talking about was the Old Testament because they, uh, like we learned last week, incorporated the Old Testament scriptures, the, the law and the prophets, to be a part of Christian, Christians' sacred texts. So he's saying that, that's all God-breathed. And then we've come to today to adopt Paul's words to Timothy as to also be God-inspired, God-breathed. It brings, as Paul says, it brings authority into our life and also profitability it's good for us we see there paul says so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work his words the bible can produce good through us and in us the bible gives us life and it is to bless us so we can be a blessing Oftentimes here with humanity, you see that people are looking for a story or looking for something to give them meaning and reason and purpose and direction in life. Whether it's we are we dive into the comics and we like living life vicariously through you know, comics. We have those big conventions, Comic-Con, people dressing up as different characters. Or whether we give our life to sports and we follow sports very Uh, religiously and we are all about watching what is going on and we memorize stats or maybe we're into nature or holistic healing there's all kinds of things that we as individuals pour ourselves into because we're looking for a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning a sense of direction something that would guide us through the bible is not an instruction manual though the Bible is not a listing of heroes to mo- to model ourselves after. It's not a get rich quick scheme. But it is God's intentional pursuit of who we of humanity because he created us and wants to be with us. His it is a story of his life and who he is. So if we want something to model ourselves after, we can model ourselves after who God is. And the Word tells us who He is. It is His story. So we can follow after Him. So these I got some recommended reading if you want to dive into this a lot more for yourself to understand these things. Here's a list of uh, eight different books. When critics ask, can I trust the Bible, the case for faith and for Christ by Lee Strobel, I've read uh, both of those. We have the evidence that demands a verdict and more than a carpenter, both by uh, father and son, Sean and Josh McDowell, the canon revisited and letters from a skeptic. These are some good readings if you would like to read and kind of get into the more the analytical thought process of why you can trust the Bible, what the Bible is all about, and some more of this uh, background information. So, again, don't just take my word for it. You know, like we talked a few weeks ago, the Bible is not just for preachers. You can fact check what I'm talking about. And then you can, we can talk about it. So, we can trust the Bible. One today, why can we trust it? We can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. What do I mean by historically accurate? Well, historians often say there are three ways, three levels, three things that you need to do to prove that uh, something is historically accurate. Three, three tests. The first test is: Was it written from an eyewitness account? Well. We've talked a lot about that. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are all eyewitness accounts. All right? So we got that marked off the box. New Testament. Old Testament. Let's go back into that. Genesis. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, or what some call the Pentateuch, or I can't remember what the Hebrews called it right now. Uh, But those were written by Moses. And Moses was... A main character of a lot of those stories, so Moses was there at the Red Sea when God split the Red Sea. Moses was there when he led the children of uh, Israel out of Egypt. Moses was there when they wandered through the desert. So there's eyewitness accounts. Then you go into Joshua. Well, the Book of Joshua was written by Joshua. He was there when the when they what felt probably like foolishly marching around. Let's march around a city. One one lap each day for six days. How foolish would you feel after day three? Oh, we're gonna march around, play our, so- play our songs, dress up like we're in battle, just march around building. You know. Doot, 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 doot. But then on the seventh day, it's like God said, now let's increase it seven times. March around seven times. On that last one, you just let out a mighty scream. And when they screamed and they blew their trumpets and they praised the Lord, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Joshua was there. He saw what God did. So we have folks that have written these words down that experience and where the eyewitnesses so we can check that box off that the bible was written from eyewitness accounts because the disciples were there when jesus did miracles peter was there when jesus walked on the water john was there when jesus was crucified on the cross all right so check that box second box that we can look at was it recorded and copied with extreme care this is often the thing that people will bring up well you know, the Bible is such an old document. Is it really factually true? You know, was it copied correctly? Those kinds of things. If you look at the Jewish process in history, the Hebrew process of copying the, the, the law and uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, if you, you look at their, their process for copying the document, scri- Jewish scribes were known around the world for their meticulous copying. When they copied those first five books... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Mm, You know, to me, I'd I'd think, okay, let's lay out Genesis. We started Genesis 1, in the beginning. In the beginning, okay? God created the... Okay, God created... You know, to me, that's how I'd copy, right? But for the Jews, that's not how they copied. They copied letter by letter, not word by word. I I N N -N 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 space, space, B, B. They were very meticulous for what they did. So after they, they copied those, the entire five books, and they just they didn't just do uh, short periods, but they did the entire thing you know, over the course of however long it took them. They would then go back. They, they knew what, what the middle letter was, should have been. So they open up their, letter, their five books. They go to the middle letter, and they find it if that middle letter matches the middle letter of the original then okay i've done it right and then they start counting backwards from there they know how many they would count the individual letters from that middle one back to the beginning and the middle one to the end to make sure that the num the amount of letters still matched both sides and matched the original goodness gracious if copying it by hand wasn't enough right Just sit there and find the middle letter, okay, N. N is correct. Now let's start counting. One, two, three, four, twenty-seven, four hundred and ninety-three million. Oh, shoot, I just messed up. Got to go all the way back, you know, to me. Like, I messed up. Got to start at the beginning again. Where was I? One hundred and ten thousand or was it one hundred and nine thousand? I can't remember. But they were very meticulous. And if they found that they had made a mistake, they wouldn't just correct the mistake. Guess what they did? They tossed the entire thing out and started all over again. I know, crazy. It's a lot of work, but they were very meticulous. So we can trust their, their reliability of what they did. And then let's also look at the number of, so we look at the number of manuscripts as well. So we got the reliability of how it was written. And then how many manuscripts or how many copies are there? So let's look at some, uh, some famous writings So they look at how close they were dated. So we have the writings of Plato. We have 210 manuscripts from the writings of Plato. People like them, they trust them, but they were also dated uh, earliest, 1,300 years after his original date of writing. That's a long span, but we have 210. So, okay, some trust there. Then we have... 251 of Julius Caesar, but those are dated closest 900 years. How many have read, uh, read Homer's Iliad? Just a few, okay. But how many of you have heard about it? All right, we've heard about it. There are 1,751 copies or manuscripts of, the, of Homer's Iliad, but the closest one is only 500 years. To the original. So now let's move to the Bible. With the Bible, the New Testament, just speaking New Testament, there are 5,700 copies of the New Testament, with the closest dating less than 100 years from the original date. We have all these other works that are part of secular society, but yet, and we say we trust, but yet, the Bible. Based on faith, how can we trust it? So that's only in Greek, though. But if we go take all the other languages, all the other translations, as we would want to call them, there are over 24,000 copies of the New Testament alone. Can we trust what we have in our Bible? Can we trust what we read on our screens? I would say yes. Yes because it was meticulously copied so that's the new testament what about, what about the old testament well we have the dead sea scrolls so from 194 up until 1947 the oldest copy of the new of the old testament was 900 years after jesus had died okay so 900 ad was the oldest copy of the new uh, the old testament But then in 1948, some shepherds near the Dead Sea found what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. In a cave, in some jars, were some scrolls that had been saved that when they reviewed them were were copies of the Old Testament. And they meticulously went through. They were dated um, 100 years before Jesus was born. So there's a thousand-year gap between what they had originally and now these Dead Sea Scrolls. And guess what? It was 99.5% accurate. Want to know what the 0.5% was? Yes, spelling errors and word choices. Spelling errors and word choices were all that was different in the thousand year span. Is there some reliability to the the amount of extreme care that went into copying these things? Yes, there was. So for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, I'm going to check that box. It was copied pretty well. Number three, does it have archaeological confirmation? Well, let's look at some of these things from the New Testament. We have the theater in Athens where Paul preached. It's there, they found it. They found the pool of Siloam where the, the beggar was healed. In the New Testament, we have Herod's temple. In the, the book of Acts talks a lot about various places, countries, and cities. All thirty-nine countries, all fifty-four cities, and all nine islands that are mentioned in the book of Acts have been found and documented and verified. So does it have archaeological confirmation? Yeah, it sure does. There's a lot of things that archaeology is confirming about the Bible. There's this quote from William Albright. Did I get it up there? I thought so. Says this. He said this, There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial history of the Old Testament tradition there have been over 25,000 archeological discoveries that substantiate the validity of scripture. Over 25,000 discoveries. So was the Bible written from eyewitness account? Yes. Was it uh, recorded and copied with extreme care? Yes. And does archeology span back it up? It sure does. So those three indicators help us understand that the Bible is historically accurate. So now we go on to, okay, the Bible is historically accurate. Is the Bible scientifically accurate? This is my wife's favorite area, science. She loves science. Well, for us, all right, the Bible was written thousands of years ago, right? These letters and documents compiled for thousands of years. And they've sat unchanged, yes? Can we all agree? They've been unchanged for quite some time. So is, has the Bible, cha- does, has science changed around us? It sure has. Just the other week, the United States came out with a new health and nutrition food pyramid that says Lucky Charms. Anybody know what Lucky Charms is? All right. Who doesn't know what Lucky Charms is? a breakfast cereal that has like little uh, whole, whole wheat things. They look like little letters. And then they also have marshmallows, little tiny marshmallows, crunchy. Well, if you leave them in the milk, too, they get soggy. <laughs> but they, the, this new, tr- new way to understand nutrition has said, Lucky Charms, a sugary breakfast cereal has more nutrition than a steak. That's what a lot of people are saying. Oh wow! Okay, I'm still going to eat my steak. (laughs) Sorry, Kian. (laughs) Kian's like Lucky Charms. Here I come. (laughs) A few other people. Amen. Like my steak and my barbecue sauce. But science, science changes. Why? Because we're learning new things every single day. Our ability to understand is growing and expanding. There, these food pyramids we used to, at least in the United States, I don't know here in Sweden, we started out with four main food groups, milk, bread, fruit, milk, bread, meat, and fruits and vegetables. Those, I remember in school, I learned about the four food groups, and then it became this pyramid of stuff. Why? Because science changes, we learn it and understand how nutrition affects our bodies. I feel healthier eating food here in Sweden than I do in the United States. Why? Because Sweden says, let's not have preservatives. U.S. says, what is preservative? We're preserving our bodies. We're, we're Egyptian. We're mummifying ourselves early in the process, right? Right. <laughs> You also, uh, you can hear that uh, medical students are told, hey, just be aware the science that we're, you're learning now by the time you graduate your program could significantly change or even change just a little bit. Why? Because we're learning new things about the human body every single day. We talked uh, a few weeks ago about how the Bible has science in it, neurology, how the pathways in our brains are, can be rechanged and reformatted and fixed. That's Romans 12, too. We talked about that. The Bible, even for an entirely, as you would say, an old document, is way ahead of the game. Our science changes, yet the Bible hasn't. Isaiah uh, Isaiah 40, 22 talks about how the earth is a sphere, it is a round, it is a globe. What did we used to believe about the earth? I was flat. Now, I know there are some people that still believe the earth is flat. My Bible says it is round. Then we talk about, so, all right, let's count the stars in the sky. Hipparchus in 150 BC said, I have counted the stars in the sky. Drum roll, please. There are 850 stars in the sky. What? People are like, oh my goodness. Yay, we know how many stars there are. Ooh. Then 300 years later, uh, Ptolemy came out and said, mm, Sorry, he was wrong. I have recounted the stars because I have recounted the votes, and there are 1,022 stars in the sky. <gasps> Yay, we have more stars in the sky. Woohoo! Guess how many stars scientists think we have now? They think we have approximately 200 billion stars trillion stars in the sky, but they don't know for sure because in science, the universe continues to expand. Why? Because our technology is getting better and our telescopes are and our satellites are going farther and farther out into space so then they can see farther and farther away. They're just not quite sure. But yet Jeremiah 33:22 says, I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Sometimes there's just no point in counting. It's all right saw a video this week that uh, the guy said, if you measure out one cubic, one cubic meter of sand, go to, go to our nearest beach, do one cubic meter, off four sides, and then go a cubic meter down. They estimate that there's over a hundred million grains of sand in one cubic meter. How many cubic meters of beach are there across the entire world that we can see how much sand is below the waves? It's pretty interesting how the Bible says, hey, it's just countless. Don't even try. It's just too much to count. So scientifically, I would say, you know, it's, it's doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. And then we also talk about prophetically accurate. Is the Bible prophetically accurate? Meaning the future predictions that they say, did they come true? Well, if we look at just one individual the most prophecies in the Bible, Jesus, there were over 300 prophecies just about Jesus. And all 300 came to be. And they weren't just vague. He shall be a great man. He shall be a man. He shall have a beard. He shall have dark hair. He will be really nice. You know, there weren't those kind of things. The Bible says he would be born in Bethlehem. And then he will have to escape and go to Egypt. Oh, also. So just those two alone, you can't really, like, hey, Angela, let's have a baby. Let's go to Bethlehem and have this baby born in Bethlehem. And then let's run away to Egypt. Well, this, that would be difficult to do. Then let's set up Jesus to to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem before he dies. That was a prediction. That was a prophetic word. But then a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, the Old Testament, there's a prophecy that Jesus would die by hanging on a cross, what we call crucifixion. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented then. Yet Jesus died on a cross to fulfill the prophecy there's this scientist, this gentleman, uh, statistician named Peter Stoner. His life work was to, to study the probability of things, and he said, "Let's let's study the probability of these prophecies in the Bible if they were to come true." So he gathered a hundred uh, just of Jesus. He gathered a hundred of his colleagues together, and they started figuring things out. So they said, if eight of these things came true, there's a one in 10 to the 17th power chance that it would happen. So I wrote this number down. That is one in 100 quadrillion. You know, there's a better chance for all of us to go right now down to Presbyterian, buy some, a lottery ticket to win the lottery than just him saying eight things that were prophesied about Jesus coming true. Now if we move on, let's go, let's up that by, by six, by multiplication by six. So if 48 came true, you have one in, in 10 to the 157th power. I don't know what that number is. <laughs> Just so you know. That's a lot of zeros. That's not even figuring out how all 300 coming true about Jesus. But statistically, the probability of of just 48 things coming true about Jesus is a staggering number. Yet we know all 300 came true about Jesus. Norman Geisler said this, if an omniscient God exists who knows the future, then produ- predictive prophecy is possible. And if the Bible contains such predictions, then they are a sign of its divine origin. 300 things about one individual that should really open our eyes to say, there's got to be a little more to this life than just, I, I'm born, I die, I'm buried. There's got to be something, and it wasn't just one individual that wrote down 300 things. Hundreds of years, thousands of years spanned between these various prophetic predictions about who Jesus was and what he was going to be. We can put our trust in this document or the document we have on our phones. Why? Because Jesus is who the Bible said he was going to be. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they ca- were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These ordinary men and women had a capability to say something. Why? Because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Guess what, believer? Guess what, follower of Jesus? When you said yes to Jesus in your life, you also said yes to the Holy Spirit coming inside of you. You have this great ability and power within you that God is wanting to unlock. Why? Because the Bible says the power is yours. You follow me, you have what I had and more. Jesus said, There's so many other things that, you, that I've done that you can do also and greater. We've re- we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus healing the sick and saying, Money's going to appear in the mouth of fish and raising multiple people from the dead, casting out the demons taking bread and a fish and making it feed 5,000 plus people. Imagine that. Your school breaks down when you're at work, Monterey. The the kitchen goes kaput. You bring your lunch and say, in Jesus' name, I bless this food, and it feeds all 1,500 staff and students at your school. That's not out of the realm of possibility for any of us. We could walk into our workplace, the kitchen could go kaput, all of our food could go bad, but yet we have our lunch, we could pray over it and our lunch can multiply. Why? Because there were over, there were 300 predictions that came true about Jesus. And if Jesus said we had this power, we have this ability, it's not for our glory, it's not for our vain conceit, but it's for His glory that the people that we encounter would come to know Him. Just like Peter and Paul were just minding their own business, having their own little side conversation. And the guy said, please stop. I need something. You got some money. Help me out. And they turned to him and say, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Imagine feeling that prompting. You're walking through the subway one day and you see someone that's just sitting there trying to hobble onto the train. They say, please help me, please help me. And God prompts in your spirit, help that individual by speaking healing over them. You know what, sir? You know what, ma'am? I can help you to the train, but, but I, I, I know somebody that loves you and wants you to understand that love. In the name of Jesus, I say, walk to the train. And they start walking and they feel there's no more pain. This is what our Bible says. This is what we can have. So can you trust it? I trust it. Because we have those human elements of this historically accurate, scientifically accurate, prophetically accurate. So what story are you going to build your life around? God's the main character. The main character always comes through, always provides. Psalms 1 through 3 says this Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Sure, just like Anu, she had her struggles in trying to follow the voice of the Lord and what God had for her. But when we plant ourselves near the stream of living water, it may not happen right away. Like she got she got questions. We may get questioned, we may even have questions ourselves. Why am I doing this? Why is God God, why are you leading me this direction? But there's a plan, there's a purpose. And as we plant ourselves with God, we are like that tree tree that is by the stream of living water. It will take some time, but we'll grow. We'll keep maturing. Church, that's why this verse right here is why we took these few weeks to get into the Word, not just to, just to talk about the stories of the Word, but to talk about the story of the Word so you could understand, okay, this is what the Bible is. This is where, some, uh, where it came from for the most part. This is the big picture. It can help me grow my faith and understand, okay, there is a foundation, a solid, legitimate foundation that I can put my faith on. My faith rests on a human solid foundation because of the scales of measure that we have because that's what humanity says. But we ultimately then say, okay, so my faith, my belief in following Jesus has firm foundation. Lord, help me to be like that tree planted by the stream of living water that you are constantly bringing nutrients, refreshing my soul that in due season, when it is time, when I'm ready, you will produce fruit for me. Meaning those that are around you are going to benefit from your life. They're going to benefit from your hard work. They're going to benefit from your struggle to push up like the trees, to branch out to gather the sun in, to get the roots dug deep, to get the nutrients, to deal with the storms coming. That's why we dig our roots deep. Others are going to benefit from you. Your ability to dig into God is not just so you can have a great life. It's so that your circle around you, people are going to eat the fruit of your life and your labor because you love God and you've put yourself inside of him. You've connected and stayed with him. Yes, it's not going to be easy. Jesus said following him is not for the faint of heart. Jesus asked different people to give up different things to follow him. Some chose it, some didn't. But we got to make a choice. But first of all, in knowing that choice, I want you to understand the Bible isn't just. The Bible. There is some proof and validity. There is proof and validity to what the Bible is. So we can't just say, oh, you know, it's written by humans. It's, you know, eh, I can pick, pick and choose what I want. No. It was breathed by God through humans to glorify God. So church, please join us on this journey. As a church, we are going to grow this is going to be our best year yet. Because as we've talked about these last several weeks, we want you to grow. We want you to be able to look back come December 31st, 2023, before we even enter into 2024. Man, look at how much I have grown. Yeah, there may have been struggles. There's, there may be mountaintop experiences and valley bottom bottoming out but i've still made it through i have grown i am a much better follower of jesus i know more about my lord than i ever thought i could my god i can't wait to see how much i grow this next year we want you all to grow yeah sure we want all of these seats to be filled but more importantly we want you to mature as a follower of jesus christ Because if you mature, whether you affect our church or not, you will affect the world. Again, like I just said, your fruit will benefit those that are around you. And then one day we'll hear stories about how maybe Stockham community, man, I heard this, I got deep and serious with my faith. And I shared it with my coworker. And my co-worker came to know Jesus. And that coworker then went on to the missions field and is, thousands of people have been saved because of that co-worker. Church, our fruit doesn't have to just benefit us today. The fruit of Stockholm Community Church can live on for years and years and years to come. Long past our staying here in, in Sweden. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings for us. But we know what we have today. So we have desires. Man, I can't wait. If God allows this church to continue and grow, man, I see, I see more churches planted across Sweden. We are part of the Pentecostal movement. I encourage you, come join us on the 17th because the leader of our organization, Daniel Alm, is coming to share with us. And we as an organization, we as a denomination here in Sweden or a group or a movement have promised and said we're going to be a part of the other Pentecost movements around the world. And we are going to plant thousands of churches in the next 10 years. Imagine if Stockholm community wasn't just planting one more church but that we were planting two and three and four churches a year. Why? Because people found a heart and a passion to go and share Jesus with other people around this country and around the world. You are all maybe might be called back to your home country and feel God leading you to go back home in a few years. Great, but maybe God wants you to also take some fire with you and start a new movement down there. Start another church because God is burning inside of you to bring a fire back to your nation wherever you come from, wherever you go. Stockholm Community Church says we want to influence Sweden to influence the world. Why? Because there are so many tech companies that are here. Imagine if we just shared Jesus with one person and that just kind of spread and then the next major tech company had someone that loved Jesus leading that company. Why? Because we just shared our faith. We never know who we're going to run into. We don't know the effects of our fruit, but I want to encourage you, share. Become mature. Dig deep. Because God has destiny. God has purpose for every single one of you. I believe that. I know it. And I want to see it come true. Father God, we just come to you this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. But as we've gone over these last several weeks, God, it is your story. Story of how you wanted us so badly, you created us and we messed up your plan. So you came up with another solution to rectify our consequences and to bring wholeness between you and us. Father, we learn that, that the Bible does measure up to the human standards of being accurate historically and scientifically and prophetically. That there is reliability, that we can trust these words. Not just because your word says it is God-breathed, but, but we have those laid out measurements showing us we can trust that it is from you. So Lord, I pray, I speak over our church, that this will be a year for us to grow in maturity, to grow in strength, to grow in courage, to grow in faith, that, Father God, that 2023 would be a year where we find and see the destiny to to hear and live out the purpose that you have placed over every single one of us God our purpose might be to be a missionary to another country our purpose might be to go plant a church in another part of Sweden our purpose might be to just go back to our job every single day and live it out as a Christ follower being unashamed to say I love Jesus and hear how he is affecting my life because though are people that are also dedicated to your work and to your purpose there is no higher calling no greater one than to live out the purpose you have placed in our hearts in our minds whether it is in the church or in the marketplace God it does not matter Lord help us to grow this year that today, from today forward, we are now trees planted by the streams of living water. That that water brings us nutrients in life. That it helps us to dig down farther and deeper into the soil to create a firm foundation. So when the storms of life come a-blowing, we can stand strong. We may lose a limb. We may lose some leaves. Some fruit may fall off. But we are still standing. Because you are our foundation. You are the anchor that holds us down in the storm. You are the tower of refuge protecting us and keeping us safe. Or may we be known as a church that loves you, that eagerly desires more of you, not just for show, not just for hype that we are authentically, passionately following you. So Lord, be with us in this journey. Be our guide as we follow you into greener pastures, into stormy waters, into the dark world, to be a light, to be salt, to be people that are proclaiming salvation in the name of the Lord so thank you Father God thank you for the purpose and destiny you've put on this church as well God may we fulfill every word that you have spoken about us and for us because we are following after you not a man not a woman not a blueprint but we are following after you Jesus we love you, Lord. God, I ask these things in your name. God, I ask that you be glorified. I ask that you be honored. I ask that men and women would be drawn to you, and not to an individual, but to you, Lord. To you, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen.